Where did you find that? <laughs> I was bored last night. Boy, was I bored. When was this written? Oh, hang on. This is a little. This is catchy. Let's 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 let it breathe a bit. When was this done? 1980. Okay, well, there you go. That Orioles baseball, I guess. Uh, why do I get the sense? Why do we get the? Uh, why do I get the sense that by the time this year is done, we're going to be just sick and freaking tired of the Orioles? Uh, of the Orioles and Rugnar Odur. Rugnar Odur. There's a. There. There will be so much Rugnar Odur happening in September. No, I don't think so. Oh, you know there. One of the worst hitters in baseball. That does not it's matter. Not close. Well. Not even close. I don't know about don't that. Don't make dumb pitches. And Immer, get him Bradley, out. Zimmer. Worst hitter in baseball. That's not, it's not fair. Well, no, you, one, just, one guy, you just one threw One guy Rugnado plays Odur. more than, than the other guy. So the, the one guy's Anyhow. got over 300. So that's, that's not fair. Rugnado Odor, he is, he is the man. Two-run home run yesterday. Defensive air that opens the door for a possible Jays comeback in the uh, ninth inning. And in the end, it doesn't matter. The Baltimore Orioles... Beat the Blue Jays six to five. This is going to be what? So this will be the first first series in which the Orioles have beaten the Jays in like thirteen series or something like that because they've taken two of three. It's just, I mean, it, 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 there's what is there twelve games left? There's twelve games left against the Orioles. Like I said, we we are going to be sick and tired. Of the Baltimore Orioles. 13 by games the time left. this is done. They started with 15. They played no, two. They How many 14. is that? And they have 15, two. That's 13, I guess. Oh, boy, I don't let it beat you. Well, there's a we difference big, between 12 and 13. That, that last game that could be big the showdown between Virginia, between Virginia Tech and University of Manitoba math happening there. Ooh. That's a big showdown. Mm. Big showdown. Yeah, so there is a lot of games left between these teams. Uh, Alec Manoa got the start yesterday, of course. Five innings, eight hits, five strikeouts, one walk. I mean, pitched in, pitched with men on base essentially for the entire, well, yeah, the entire game, <laughs> more or less. The first, mm-hmm. first batter of the game walked him four pitches. And uh, we mentioned Rugnit Odur, a two-run home runoff of uh, Yimi Garcia. I- explain that. I- you're right. Rugnit Odur is not a very good hitter. He's not. So explain to me how he hit a two-run home run last night then. You throw a dumb pitch to a guy that's trying to pull everything and get the head out and create some backspin, and that's what happens. When you make a bad pitch, You, you Jimmy Garcia, for me, rarely throws his changeup, but he's throwing it more. He's been throwing it to left-handed hitters who are good hitters, and you need to add and subtract. You need to throw it in their mind that you will throw it. Rooting at a door, you don't need to do that. Just don't let him. Pull the baseball. Uh, that, make him, if you miss, make sure it's away off the plate. And if you want to throw a secondary pitch, probably not your slider because that'll go down and in to, to the left-handed uppercut swing and a door. So you're probably flipping a breaking ball if you want to do that. But make him go to the, the other way. Why, why throw him a changeup? Yeah, I understand when they were going into the, to this game. He's hitting under 100 off, off uh, off-speed pitches. Right. Okay, he's not hitting 200. I, I get it that average doesn't mean what it used to mean, but when you're not hitting 200, you're not hitting 200. So what you're saying is if you're hitting below 100 on an off-speed pitch 
and you're not hitting the fastball either. If my thinning guy throws his changeup 7% of the time, that's not his best pitch. That could be his fifth. Fifth or fourth, right. Best pitch. Why would you throw it to him? Why would you give him an opportunity to, to go back leg city to the pull side and change a baseball game in the eighth inning? Makes no sense to me. Like, I zero sense. I get why the theory, because he's not hitting 100 off, a, off an off-speed pitch, but the guy on the mound doesn't like throwing his changeup. Right. He's your eighth inning guy. For me, I, I, again, if he goes away with it and he hits his spot, but why take a chance that you're going to miss your spot and give a bad hitter a chance to hit a home run at Camden Yards? I, for me, it just makes t- zero sense that they had that game. Those are games that playoff teams, legit playoff teams, should always win. Yeah. I know the Orioles are, are the little engine that could, and, and, you know, they're the special team this year. Look, tune in to the Orioles. But when you're the Blue Jays and you talk the way you're talking and you got this thing lined up the way it's supposed to line up, and the reason why you didn't win is because you threw the wrong pitch. Walk up to Jimmy Garcia after the game and go, hey, did you get beat by your best pitch? He looks at you and said, I got beat by my, my fifth best pitch. Is that a good outing? Absolutely not. Like like the Hayes two-strike pitch, that's good hitting. He threw the bat at the ball, mm-hmm. the ball fell in. Okay, you tip your hat to the guy. But the next guy, you helped him out. You gave him a chance to, to do something special, which for me just not, makes zero sense. And, and th- those are games, again, we could – because now all of a sudden the wild card situation is all bundled together. One team's as good as the other team. Like you can't pick any team in there that's favored. Like, they all this team is about the same. Pick one, they're all about Seattle the same. Mariners, like, Seattle Mariners winning last night. They, the got, good, they, they got good starting pitching, a good pull, <laughs> bullpen, and one through four, and their order's pretty good. And they play solid defense. Like, they're, they're, they got some mojo. They think they can beat some people. So but, here comes the Guardians, too. They play in a bad division. So and they've got, they've got three games coming up against the Blue Jays uh, this weekend as well. So this is where the standings are. The Yankees lost last night in 13 innings. <clears throat> they're still they're seventy one and forty. They've still got a, a ten and a half game lead over the Jays, so it's back over double digits again. Uh, Tampa Bay is uh, twelve back. They hold down the second wild card spot. The Jays are a game and a half up in the top wild card spot, but the Baltimore Orioles are half a game back of Tampa Bay. Seattle is uh, half a game. I'm sorry, a full game back of the Blue Jays. So the Jays are atop the wild card standings, a game and a half over. Mariners, I'm sorry, it's a game and a half lead over Baltimore. The Mariners are half a game back. Then there's Tampa Bay. Then you got Baltimore half a game out, Cleveland a game out, Minnesota a game out. The Chicago White Sox, and yeah, they're hurting, and they just lost Tim Anderson probably for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. But they're still two and a half out in a bad division. So, and then you get down to Boston. So you got five seven back. teams you could throw it, you know, you could throw all seven you got against seven the wall. Team, you got seven teams and then two and a half. You could argue any three of them. Any of them. Well, I one's I, as good as the other. I said yesterday, I've got there. I've got a little confidence that the Rays make the playoffs right now, and Jays are ten games over five hundred. And we've talked about this. They do not, they do not play well against against good teams. They're twenty nine and thirty eight against teams over five hundred. It's the little things. It's it's you a know? pitch. It's and yes, they've had a tough a, schedule, it, but it's, it's an a bat, right? It's a it's a big at bat. Nobody out first and second. 
Guy comes up, been having a good day. And Bo Bichette, like you need those guys. I mean, probably not fair, but you need those guys to have better at bats and and have quality at bats and be tough outs. And now Bo yesterday, two he had home a really runs. Good day. He had a good day. Two home runs, uh, both of them to the friendly part of the ballpark. I guess if you're uh, if you're Bo Bichette, which is fine. Homer's a homer. A homer's a homer. <clears throat> he uh, he has had a good. There there have been signs of life on this road trip for Bo Bichette. Vladdy continued his, his hitting streak with a single. That's 20 games, which is the longest. This kind of surprised me, actually. It's the longest since Edwin Encarnacion had a 26-game hitting streak uh, in 2015. I just assumed that with the, the offense we've seen around here that somebody would have had a longer hitting streak, but, but there you go. Uh, and, uh, of course, the Jays made... Uh, a player move yesterday, getting Jackie Bradley Jr. off the waiver wire, as I said they would. Uh, yeah, Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, basically, they're just collecting left-handed bats right now. Uh, when George Springer is activated again, one of the two will go. And the only thing I'm going to say about Jackie Bradley Jr. is you can look at defensive runs saved. Bradley Zimmer's a Bradley Zimmer covers more territory than Jackie Bradley Jr. But Bradley Zimmer is is a non-factor offensively. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a non-factor as well, but he's a non-factor who can run into one every now and then. He's got 19 doubles, I think. So, anyhow, it's there's no there's no point it's it's there's no point getting in an argument about the 20 the the 25th man on the roster. But uh so so Kevin, let's let's talk about the addition of Jackie Bradley Jr. first and then we'll we'll deal with with the hitting here. What did you in in, in terms of what he brings to the team? Jackie Bradley Jr. I, well, I I would think he gives John Snyder options late in games. You want to you want to you know a guy needs a, a load management day. You need to pinch hit that guy. He's an outfielder. Now you got a defensive replacement guy that can run it down and and who's left handed and can play all three positions. I, I think that's basically what he brings offensively. I don't want to say he's an easy out, but you, an easy you make out. a decent pitch, he's out. He's less easy than Bradley Zimmer. There you go. <laughs> so I know offensively, he's not bringing you a ton, but I do think he he gives you <laughs> he gives you one more option. I mean, I, it's, I, I chuckle because all the moves that have been made in Bradley Zimmer by yelling, screaming, throwing their hands in the air is still on the team. And I, I sent this text to you when I heard that that was the move, Bradley Jr. coming to the game or coming to the team, and he's still – uh, just uh, can you have too many? Is the question that I have well, I here. Think the thing is, and I think this is just. Thing, I guess it gives more options. That's yeah, and the I thing, know. the thing with Otto Lopez is, uh, you know, Whit Merrifield can play second base as well. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess if you're the Blue Jays, you've got Otto Lopez. He needs to play a little more. I guess you get him down, get him back down in 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 A. But yeah, I, I was. I mean, I was surprised that there seemed to be such a reaction. I mean, there, there are tons of teams. I mean, folks, the Dodgers are picking dudes off the waiver wire right now. I mean, there are a lot of teams doing that. There are a lot of teams signing guys to minor league contracts. I, I mean, that's, that's it's just it's just the way it is. And I guarantee you this will not be the last waiver wire. I, but I, the difference the is I don't think you see a, a ton of those guys on the big league team for the Dodgers. They're, they're, they're for depth reasons. And down the stretch, when they have big leads, if they yeah, want to give my, dudes but days my point off, is, but, that's why. But my point is that's getting... The, that's the difference. But my point is getting worked up about about 
Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, well, Bradley who, who, nobody, nobody's getting silly. worked up, but I mean, it's I, I guess it gives a, more <laughs> options late in games for when you do have to pinch hit and and it costs pinch you run and because the dot and they, it's not moving the needle. It's still it's yeah. still going to be the fact of your eighth and ninth inning guys out of the pen have to do their thing. Uh, your big two starters plus Jose Barrios has to do their thing, and the middle of the order for the Blue Jays has to carry the team. Plain and simple. End of story. They have to turn the corner, and they have to be great, not good. Like that, I think that's where it comes down to. The good ain't can't happen anymore because all of a sudden now, you mentioned it, there's six other teams that are fighting for the same thing the Blue Jays are, and they're all bunched up. Like, not one is shining above all the other ones, is let my me, point. Let me ask you this, too. Of the teams, Toronto, Seattle, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, Cleveland, Minnesota, let's throw Chicago in there. Of those teams... Which is the worst bullpen? Which bullpen do you have the least amount of confidence in in August and September? It's clearly the Blue Jays, is it not? I don't know. The, 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 the Orioles may be window dressing. I don't even know if you – again, that's – but in a long the, time, the, the Orioles it's, it's, are pretty. They, I mean, I guess they're okay. They've been their bullpen's been good since I, the start I, of the I, year. I, I know where you're going with this, and I know what you want me to say. I know how you are. I've been around you long enough to know what you're trying to do here. Uh, I, I guess. I look again. Even even with the people that the Blue Jays brought in, you can see churning. You can see when the camera is panned over to Snyder and Pete Walker and whoever other, you know, all the other 15 coaches that are over there. They're trying to figure out who matches up with who, mm -hmm. and that's an issue. Like you're not always going to get it right. Somebody's going to throw a changeup. When they're not supposed to. So, yeah, it's like, again, Chris Holt, the pitching coach for the Orioles, came out to Batista last night with, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. coming up with two outs in the ninth inning. And I could tell you, I, 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 I'm not, couldn't read his lips because he had his hand over his mouth, but I can tell you what he said to him. A young guy, your best pitch is a hundo. If you get beat, young fella, to their best hitter, do it with a hundo. He threw him three of them. I mean, it's not a hard thing here, and, and this is, again, gets back to that. The, Pete Walker can't run out there and say that. What's he going to say? Don't get beat when you're moving 94. <laughs> he can't say that. That's the point yeah. here. So it's it's you're trying to piece it together, and you got to be smart, and you got to sometimes go, look, I, I understand that a guy that's left-handed is has issues with a secondary pitch, but that's not my best one. If I'm going to get beat, it's because of my best one. And that's that. That's why you try to surround your team, especially late in games, when the heart rate goes up a little bit and the situation and the lights hopefully doesn't get too bright for them, that you think to yourself, man, you know what? I know what it's saying, but that's not my best one. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get him to go the other way. If he beats me to left center, which he hadn't done to anybody all year, I'll tip my hat and I'll, I'll lead him around the bases. Well, you, yeah. Way to go, little man. <laughs> Good job. But he didn't do that because I, I threw him a bad pitch. I allowed him to get the head out, create some backspin, go back leg city, and sometimes you you get beat because you do things that you, you shouldn't do. And the Orioles take advantage. Of, give the Orioles credit. Every time the Blue Jays have messed up, they've taken advantage of it. And that's what hot, confident teams do. Why does Ryan, Mount, Ryan Mountcastle own these guys? It looks to me like a lot of the, the the pitchers to the 
that the Blue Jays have understand that that guy's been really hot and they're real careful. And when you're real careful, what do you do? You aim the baseball. But he wasn't hot coming and into you, this series. Uh, it doesn't was, matter. It doesn't matter. You mean hot against the Jays? Absolutely. Okay. That's what I'm talking Okay. That they're aiming that. that. You don't think the Blue Jays knew that how good he is against them? Absolutely they do. How many of those balls are good pitches that he hit? Rarely any of them. They're all right down the middle. Normally when you know a guy hammers you, you try and be too fine. You, you're real careful. Mm-hmm. You know, if I walk him, so what? It's hard to do that at the big league level, especially this time of the year when it's more about punching you out, making you look silly than it is setting you up and making a quality pitch, and you throw a ball down the middle. And when you throw a ball down the middle, it's like the Adam Simber thing. I've been telling you this. He relies on trickery. It ain't location. Some of the times it's adding subtracting with the sinker slider thing, but a lot of it's trickery where he throws it from, but you can't throw it down the middle. What did he do to Mount Castle? He threw it down the middle after he walked a guy. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, it's... The Blue Jays' bullpen a lot of the times has to be perfect with all the things that go into getting guys out. When other good teams don't have to do that. We've beaten that horse to death. It's just facts. When you watch their team play, like <laughs> all the things the coaches have to go through, all the things the catcher has to go through, and the guy standing on the mound's thinking about, okay, if I throw this one, what do I throw next? Instead of a young pitching coach running out and just going, dude, you throw 100. And it moves a little. Throw that. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alec Manoa, we mentioned five innings pitched, eight hits, three earned runs, five strikeouts, one walk. It looked like he hit his head against the... Yeah, that's not real smart. No. I really don't want him to do that. Hit his head against the padded railing? It's padded. And I, we, we all understand how was, competitive he is, but don't be dumb. And, How's and that? Like, that's, and, that's and dumb. It's, you don't want your best player, your best pitcher doing No, it. and every time I see that, I keep thinking of Randy Johnson breaking his breaking his hand, punching a, punching a dugout. Um, yeah, you don't. Uh, just don't do Hands, that. heads. Just we, we get. You're psyched up and you're a competitor and all that. We understand. It doesn't need. You don't need to show it. Like we can we can move on. So, from so, that. Sometimes you got to say, okay, well, what do I think the coach is seeing from us or from me on the on the mound? I don't have. I didn't have my sinker. I, I, I did a real good job. I, I basically eliminated my sinker. I threw mm-hmm. it some, but after the first batter, I knew it that yeah. I didn't have the feel of it. I'm. I have enough awareness. It on came the mound. back a bit. It came back a little bit. It did, but I had enough awareness to know that I don't have it and it's non-competitive. If I want to go a little bit deeper into this game, I'm going to eliminate it. Throw more four seamers. Now that sweep and slider thing ain't had that in a while. Mm-hmm. And now he's trying to throw more change-ups and four-seamers. He'll battle. Like, he gives you an opportunity to win a game, and I, 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 they should have won that game. Yes. No question. They should have won that game. But you just sometimes as a young player, you got to go, look, I. it's not like they don't want to keep me in the game and let me go seven innings every time I take the ball. But when they see that I don't have my sweeping slider and my sinker hadn't been great, it's been okay but I've had to use it to make it okay. I'm using more change-ups, which is not typical of me. Mm-hmm. So what they're seeing is now that you have the lead after Bo Bichette came up and had a really good at bat on a low two pitch, and I have my bullpen rested and it's set up the way it's supposed to be set up. Yeah. That's, that's where, again, well, you know, he's, he's not a finished product. Like, oh, I love him. And like everything he does, how he acts – you know, he, he's like, he's not, he's not finished yet. 
Even fielding ground balls. You see how hurried he got? He tried to do it one-handed. Mm-hmm. Run in, set your feet, stop your feet, catch it with two hands, throw a bullet to the first base. It's almost like he tried to Simple. catch it like an outfielder or something running in and uh, getting a rolling ball. He thinks he's athletic. Most guys who think they're athletic do things that athletes do. Right. I'm not saying he's not. No, but I know what you mean. Because he repeats delivery and all those things. But you've got to simplify that thing as much as you can. Because it, it, it was a jam shot, so you know it's spinning sideways. Just run up, stop your feet, set your feet. You know, bend your knees, catch it with two hands, throw a bullet to the first base bay, and it's over. We'll be joined by David Sampson, MLB analyst with CBS Sports and a host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. He climbed the, the top of Mount Kilimanjaro since we last had him on. With a broken leg, I think it was. Or hamstring, ran a marathon, and then went on a safari. We'll talk to David about that and talk to him about baseball as well. He's got some some thoughts on the uh, the Padres. Uh, Josh Hader blows a save yesterday. Manny Machado plays a hero. But yeah, we we had Dan O'Dowd on yesterday talking about you make a deal. Obviously, the Juan Soto deal. You know, no one's going to judge it in the first five days. Mm-mm. But it, let's just say that initially it hasn't it hasn't changed the landscape uh, the landscape in the National League West. So David Sampson will join us. Dan Shulman as well. We'll have Blair and Barker trivia tickets to see the August 16th game against Rugnit Odur and the Baltimore Orioles. And as always, Barker's back leg bits at the end of the show. Uh, I mean, Rugnit Odur, you just knew. I, I swear to God, I can see this. You can see this happening. I, I, and, I can, and where do the Jays wrap up? Bark, where do they wrap up their season? Where do they finish their season? I couldn't disagree more. I, I said this, if you could, if you could draw this out any better, it couldn't be, it couldn't be drawn up any better that you have one of the worst hitters in baseball up with a hot guy and you got your eighth and ninth inning guys lined up. If you just don't throw one down the middle. Orioles magic. Orioles magic. It's a thing. Is there such a thing? It's, it's, it's a thing. Think of how much fun we were having earlier in the year when the Jays' schedule was so tight. Can't wait to get into Wait till August and September when you've got all those games against the Orioles. Anyhow, Jose Barrios starts tonight. He's 8-4, 519 ERA against Dean Kramer. It's on the road. I'm not even going to ask you what you expect from Jose Barrios tonight. On the road, it would it would help him to keep it in the yard. I, you want to ask me? You want, okay? I got an answer for keep you. It in keep, the yard. keep it in the yard. Keep it in the yard. He can do that. Other than that, like it's it's very erratic. It's it's very puzzling why occasionally when when he throws a couple bad ones in a row, experience just doesn't take over, and he goes, hmm, "Done it so many times now, I know why it doesn't feel right. I can fix it right away, and now so it'll feel right, and and I can get back on track." Again, he's a spin guy. When you don't, when you are always trying to spin it first, you want to get it out front and mechanically. Because he said that out loud. I mean, I'm not telling anybody something no, I don't already know. He said it out loud that mechanically he hasn't been there a lot of the a lot of the time. It is very odd about the on the road thing, though. Why the ERAs doubled on the road? But they're gonna. This is the again. You know, you'd rather have him starting than you say Kikuchi today, trying to stop the bleeding. <laughs> yeah. How's that? Well, you want to look at a positive? There's one. You say Kikuchi is his his main role in this team right now is well, it could be 
right? I mean, that's, you say, Kikuchi's main role in the Blue Jays right now. Yeah, this guy's scuffling, but it could be. Look know, on the bright side. Mitch White, yeah, well, you know, but but it could be. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. That might end up being his nickname, but it could be. But it could be Kikuchi, right? Things aren't good, but, you know, it could be. That's awful. I shouldn't really say that, should I? But you have already. I have already. Uh, David Sampson is CBS Sports' MLB analyst. He's host of Nothing Personal, the podcast with David Sampson. He's a world traveler. He's got some opinions. He's a perfect guest. He'll join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and English. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I have a pair of tickets to give away to Odurfest, August 16th, between the Jays and the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know. We'll do that later on in the show with our Blair and Barker trivia. Just telling you, man. A whole lot of Rugged Odor happening. The Rogers Center. It just it's got it's got that feeling. It's got that feeling. Oh no, here he comes to the plate. It's got that feeling. It's got that feeling. <laughs> oh no. Like he owes. He owes the Jays one for that. Oh. For what for happened when, them, he with, with, yeah, when he was with the Texas me, Rangers. Yeah, you let me punch somebody in the face. How dare you? Anyhow, game three of the three-game series goes tonight at uh, 710 on Sportsnet 590. Yeah. The fan of Sportsnet, Jose Barrios against Den, uh, Dean Kramer. Haven't seen the weather forecast. 75% chance of rain. Yes. They had a one-hour and 18-minute rain delay. 17 minutes. One-hour and 17-minute rain Well, delay. I mean, you got to... You're the host. It says 118 in the box score. That's Showman said thing. 170. Uh, boy, the last time we spoke to our our next guest, he was getting ready to uh, dominate a scale. mountain. He was getting ready to dominate a mountain. <laughs> uh, that's a good way to put it. And uh, David Sampson is a CBS Sports MLB analyst, host of Nothing Personal, the podcast with David Sampson, world traveler, marathon runner, mountain mountain climber. What? What's what's next, David? Like what? What's next on the bucket list? I mean, you got a World Series ring. I mean, what's what's next? Next month, but I think I tore my hamstring, so I'm waiting for MRI results. <laughs> And I'm so frustrated because when I was in baseball, when we did an MRI on a player, we got the results in about 45 seconds. Right. And when I needed an MRI, it would be read immediately because I was the president of a team. Now I'm just Ray Liotta, an ordinary schnook. (laughs) Days to get a result, and it makes me completely insane. Well, you know what? If you had social socialized medicine, it would be a lot faster. It would be a lot faster. Cheaper. Well, yeah, it would be, it would be a lot cheaper. Uh, so before we deal with with baseball, tell us about. I've never spoken to anybody who's 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 climbed Mount Mount Kilimanjaro and then and then went on a safari to boot. Like, how did that come about? 
Well, the plan was during COVID that we got a permit to go gorilla trekking in Uganda. And only eight people get to go at a time, and you get one hour with gorillas, and you have to hike for hours to try to find them in the mountains of Uganda. And it's something I always wanted to do, so applied for the permit, got it. And then it got canceled because of COVID. So the plan was to do it in 2022, and everything was great. And then I did the stupidest thing you could ever do when you're about to take a trip. I Googled marathons near where I'm going to be. And I have no idea why I did that, but it definitely changed my life because I found a marathon at the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Right. It's the world's highest trail race, never been done. And if you finish, you get in the Guinness Book of World Records, which was one of my favorite books growing up. I memorized all the people, you know, Robert Wadlow, the tallest guy, the Hughes brothers, the fattest twins or the McCreary twins, just all sorts of cool stuff. And I said, if this, if this works out, I'm going to do it. And the dates of the climb in the marathon were the week before the Ugandan gorilla trekking. So I said, this is just fate, so I have to accept. And I went with 21 people from all over the world, and you spend five days climbing. It is cold. It is hard. It is, it is the most difficult thing I had done. I wanted to quit so many times just during the climb because you're, you can't breathe. You're exhausted. And then you're supposed to run a marathon on the sixth day. So the sixth day comes, Jeff, and this is a true story. You hike for seven hours to get to 16,000 feet. You rest for eight hours. Then at 12.30 a.m., you start a six-and-a-half-hour climb to the summit in the dark, completely uphill, 3,000 feet. Then you get to the summit, which is hard enough to do because you see people being carried down on stretchers with oxygen in their, in their nose. And we made it to the summit, and then five minutes later, you start a marathon. And the marathon took 11 hours and 52 minutes because it's impossible to get down the mountain. You can't run, really. You have to walk quickly. And then at the bottom, you do another 13 miles with 9,000 feet of incline. And yada, 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 only 11 people finished out of 21. And I was one of them. I was the last male to finish, but I did finish. What did you do after that? Sleep? Um, no. After I do these endurance events, I have such adrenaline that I can't sleep. So instead, uh, I was up all night and then got on a plane to Kenya and <laughs> toured Kenya and then went to Entebbe, Uganda to do a bike tour, a two right. and a half hour bike tour, and then started gorilla trekking. Meanwhile, I couldn't walk. My IT bands, my hip, my torn hamstring, everything was falling apart on me. But I just kept going, and it turned out to be one of the great experiences, uh, just amazingly emotional to get to the summit of Kilimanjaro, which is over 5,000 meters, over 19,000 feet. And uh, I just realized that uh, I somehow didn't get altitude sickness, and as worried as I was about that. It's, what's crazy, though, at 19,000 feet is you can't do math. And I just wanted to mention that to your audience. It is the most bizarre thing when your brain doesn't have enough oxygen because we were trying to calculate distance and how much longer we had to go, and we couldn't do simple math. And these were all smart people, uh, accomplished sort of brain people, and your brain just doesn't operate at that altitude. Wow. David, was there a time where you, you could enjoy it? Like, is there, one of those, <laughs> is, is there one of those moments where you were like, after you climbed to 19,000 feet, you were like, man, it's totally worth it? 
Well, when I clogged the chemical toilet and had a porter to take care of it instead of me, that was enjoyable. Um, when I realized that I saw the summit and I was going to make it, that was enjoyable. Yeah. And then when I had two miles left of the marathon and I knew that I was going to cross the finish line, that was a moment of great emotion. And then just getting to the finish line and being celebrated by the people who didn't finish, uh, just in awe that, that you were able to do it, that was a cool moment. And being above the clouds, uh, being at in an altitude that you just normally shouldn't be at, there were so many interesting parts about it. Talking people, there were a bunch of people from Canada, a bunch of people from Toronto, Vancouver, uh, Qatar, Morocco, Egypt, the UK. There were only four Americans crazy enough to do this out of the 21 people. Uh, so what do you think is harder, climbing Kilimanjaro or, have, or being A.J. Preller and trying to catch the <laughs> Los Angeles Dodgers? That is, I'm going to call Coca, Jeff. That's one of the great transitions of all time. I was, I was thinking of it as you were talking because I, I know I, I know you have feelings about the Juan Soto deal, and that's what I, I, I was trying to figure out a way to sort of get a bridge to it. But um, What's the bottom line? You know very well that you can collect players in baseball, and all you have to do is look at Anaheim, and you know that it doesn't guarantee victory. It's not like bringing Kawhi Leonard in and then working your way to an NBA title. It just doesn't work that way in baseball. And A.J. Preller has never understood that. And it, this is not the first time he's collected a bunch of names. He did it back in the day with Kimbrell and mm -hmm. James Shields. I don't know when that was, but maybe five, eight years ago, and it didn't work. And he's trying it again. And the ultimate irony would be if they don't make the playoffs. And frankly, it's not a guarantee they will. They're certainly never going to catch the Dodgers. They're not nearly as good as the Dodgers. And Juan Soto's a great player, but God, did they give up a lot for him. Is momentum a thing? Like in, in when you're a GM and you're thinking about what you're trying to do for your team at the trade deadline, and is that a thought process for you? Like, do you say, man, I really don't want to kill momentum, but I also need to add this piece and that piece? I think desperation is a far bigger thing than momentum. Oh. And when you've never won a World Series and when you've tried and tried and when you've got this feeling that the, the team, you know, an hour and a half away from you is this behemoth that never loses, you tend to become a little bit irrationally exuberant. And I think that Padres suffer from that. And A.J. Preller is the perfect GM to be in charge of a team like that because he's more than happy to be aggressive and he's got an owner, Peter Seidler, who is more than happy to spend more than he has in an effort to win. And I get it, and I get why the union loves it, and I get why players love it. But there's 29 other owners who look at the Padres and root against them because they don't want to be forced by their media or by their market or by their fans to make those types of decisions. And so when it doesn't pay off, that's actually good for the rest of the owners. Where does – I mean, I, I don't know Peter Seidler, but – you know, look, it's not. It's it's a nice market. It's a lovely city. Uh, it's a lovely ballpark. I, I'm sure if you sold the team, you could probably sell it for a, for a, a, a nice a nice price. But where's that money coming from? Because that is that's a lot of money. Yeah, they're losing money. There's no doubt about it. And he's funding it through debt, and that's fine. That's normal for owners to do that. And you do get it back when you sell the team. But you have to think about sustainability. The the Padres are not the Dodgers. They're not the Yankees. They're not going to have 20 years of winning or 10 years of winning their division. It's just not going to happen. And so you're trying for the wild card. And the, the bonus now is it's not one and done, right? Mm -hmm. The one game wild card where anything can happen. You do get a three game series, but as every team knows, including the Blue Jays, 
anybody can beat anybody two out of three. And for the Padres to do what they've done with their payroll, not the Soto trade necessarily, but just their payroll in general, if they're a first-round loser or they don't make the playoffs, there's no other way to look at it than it's a complete failure. Uh, we are, of course, watching the Baltimore Orioles uh, give the Blue Jays more than they can handle right now. And you know, Baltimore at the trade deadline traded their all-star closer. And it was basically found money. Jorge Lopez was found money. They traded him and they and they traded Trey Mancini. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think they, they did him a solid, traded him to contender. And But uh, at, at the same time, you know, they they were and are one of the game's really good stories. And, I, and I'm, I'm just wondering, David, you've, you know, you've been in a position with the team. Uh, what, how, how hard would that be to, for a guy like Mike Elias to make deals, which you know, I think, look, I understand why the, I understand why the Orioles did it. The Orioles are still in that sort of quantity over quality phase when it comes to putting their minor league system together. I get all that. But at the same time, you've taken a team that's overachieved. They play hard. And you've taken two pretty key guys out of that out of that clubhouse. How how tough a sell is that for uh, oh, for an executive? Impossible. It's impossible. But the 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 Orioles have a problem, right? They have a problem in ownership. The Angelos boys are fighting. Peter Angelos is not Copas Mentis, and they're trying to figure out what to do with that team. And they're not having any sort of agreement between family members. And so they basically had said to Mike, "Here's where payroll is. Here's where it's going to be." And your job is not to be seduced by what we're doing this year, but to just keep us afloat until we figure out what to do with this asset, with this team. The real issue is when you are in the race and you are a seller, you have to go down to that clubhouse and you have to have the players rally against ownership. And it's a lot like Major League the movie, Mm -hmm. right? You want to win games in spite of your front office. And sometimes that can work. But really what's working for the Orioles is what's happening, and this Blue Jays series is a great example. The Orioles have been doormats for a bunch of years, and the thought process going into a series against them was an expectation that you're going to win the series and you're going to win it rather easily, and it's hard to get motivated for that. And when a bad team gets good, it's hard to flip the switch and start treating the Orioles like they're the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Rays. And so then you underestimate, and then you lose. And when you're losing games to a team like the Orioles, it's a big problem, especially in the American League East. That's why I think tonight's game is so critical for the Blue Jays. You know, Berrios obviously has struggled so much, and and he's got that big contract. But the Jays just have to win these games if they have a chance to do what we all thought they would do, which is to go deep into October. Jays are 29-38 and against teams at 500 or better. What's that tell you about the Jays? Uh, that they're not good enough. And I hate to say that, and I, you know I like coming on this show and being very mm-hmm. pro-Toronto, but one of the stats that we all look at is what we do against the worst teams and what we do against the best teams. Mm-hmm. And the stat of, of what you do against teams over 500, that matters because that's who you're going to play in October, and especially in the AL East, that's who you have to beat in order to get into the wild card. So that is something that needs to be focused on. And by the way, the Orioles are a team over 500 now. They count in that stat, and that's something the Orioles haven't counted in that stat in a really long time. So I think there's just such a confluence of events happening, but there's still time. It's just the middle of August. There's still 40 to 45 games. I I don't know the exact number, but let's say 45 games, a month and a half to go. So there's still going to be some opportunities for the Blue Jays to achieve what they were supposed to achieve. But at some point, you realize that maybe it's not going to happen, but I was never willing to admit that in the middle of August. 
you know, talking about just bringing it back to the Juan Soto deal for a bit, uh, you know, the trade deadline, I, I, I sat down and made a list of all the players that Scott Boris represents. Scott <laughs> Boris basically, he, he basically controls the entire offseason market right now with, with shortstops alone, with, with all the guys he has. How much of an issue is that for baseball? And I understand it's a free market and players can sign with whatever agent they want. And, you know, the agent game is a nasty business and we know all that. I'm not being taking a Pollyanna approach to this, David. But that's one guy with an awful lot of power. One guy who can really game the system to the benefit of his uh, of his clients. How, how do you manage that if you're if you're baseball? Yeah. So what what Bud Selig and Rob Manford always asked us to do, and we never did it, is they always asked us not to bail him out. And bailing him out means that he has promised his players something, and that is not available in the market. But then one owner decides to meet the ask. And then Boris continues to have the narrative that he gets what he wants for his player. And that is a problem. So what we've always hoped is that he would be in a position where he would overpromise and underdeliver, but always he delivers what he promises, which is why players want to be with him. Not every player, because there are certain players who just don't want to be associated with him, but the players who are, care only about money, which is fine, that's their right, mm-hmm. he is the best agent to have, and I admit it. And he and I don't get along because I don't appreciate the way he goes over everybody's head to only deal with owners. I don't appreciate that he tells owners that this player has to be had by your team if you want to win. Don't listen to your GM. Don't listen to your president. They don't know anything. I promise I know more about this player and this is the perfect player for you in your market. And he's so full of it, but he seduces owners in a way that should be illegal if you're under 18. And it just works, and it keeps working. So until it stops, he's going to keep having that power. David, if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. finishes with, say, 30 homers and 85 RBIs, should we look at that as a good season? So you're you're concerned in comparing to last season, right? Absolutely. And you're wondering. Right, and that that is a dangerous game because last season, it's why you don't sign players after a great season because you have nowhere to go but down. He had he was so spectacular last year that it wasn't sustainable. We were on this show talking: Is Vladimir Junior better than Vladimir Senior? We had a whole yeah. debate about that on your show, yeah. and I remember clearly saying to you, "You can't do it one year. You have to do it multiple years in a row." multiple like a decade and then we can compare father to son so he's having a very good year right the upper 280s let's say finishes 30 90 but that's not superstar level that's not vladimir senior level that is a above average major league player a good player who can help a good team be great that's what that is David, really good of you to join us. Thanks so much. Uh, I hope the hamstring heals, and uh, congratulations on uh, on uh, your achievements on that trip. It sounds it sounds remarkable, and I enjoyed following it on uh, social media. Thanks, David. Oh, I appreciate it. I'll speak to you guys soon. Thank Take you. Care. David Sampson is uh, CBS Sports MLB analyst, host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson, which is a great. It's it's just such a great podcast. It's so much fun, and there's so yes. much. If you're into the business of the game in a, in a no nonsense way. Um, as I've, I've, I've said, the two people that do that, do that so well are David Sampson and Simon Jordan <clears throat> on TalkSport in the UK, who is a former owner of Crystal Palace. 
uh, a, a Premier League team that has kind of just been a kind of a middle-of-the-road team for the longest time. But it's interesting hearing their take because they've both been in rooms where major decisions have been made. And, uh, you know, they, they, they bring insight that you don't get that, that Bud Seelig Rob Manfred stuff is interesting. It's pretty cool listening to him talk, but it's it's interesting to get his thoughts on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It's I, I think if correct me if I'm wrong, is he the guy that says that they should think about trading him? No, David's David's uh, approach all along has been that ultimately the Jays will only be able to sign. And he said this from the get go when oh, they okay. both came in. They will only be able to sign one of them. Realistically, you're only going to sign one of them. You've got to figure out. Who is the guy you're most comfortable with giving the long-term contract to? And then you factor in physique and and, and things like that. But that mm-hmm. no, um, that was his that that was his thing. Was again going back to day when Bo and Vladdy first became a thing. He said that if they both get become as good as we think they are, you are not going to be able to keep both of them. You're, you're just not. You're going to have to make a call on one of those guys, and then it gets down to, all right, do we trade the other guy? Do we keep him and, you know, run out his mm-hmm. until he leaves as a free agent and at least and, and hope that you win a World Series in that time? I mean, my argument has been this is – it's kind of like the Leafs in a lot of ways. And I took a lot of grief when I said this, but if you're the Blue Jays, if you're Mark Shapiro in particular, because I think – Mark Shapiro is probably going to be here longer than than Ross Atkins. So I'm thinking if you're Mark Shapiro in particular, mm. if you win a World Series in the next two years, that allows you to take a different approach with those two. One if you the won the World Series, you can go, I think, you can look at those two guys and say, okay, we won a World Series, mission accomplished, Repeating would be great, but I've won my World Series. I got to make a call on one of these two guys. I'm comfortable moving one of them on because I've won the World Series. And I really do think that that's part of the issue with the Maple Leafs. You know, it, it's if, if you win a Stanley Cup with the Maple Leafs, you can do whatever you want to Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, William Nylander. If you're Kyle Dubas and you win the Stanley Cup, you, hell, you could trade all four of them. I mean, you could get rid of all four of them, and the fans will be up in arms. But, hey, you know, you did bring us the first Stanley Cup since 1967. There is a freedom that comes with being successful. And if you talk to guys who are general managers or talk to people who've owned, they'll tell you, if you are successful, if you win a championship, you can literally do whatever you want the next year. Quick quick answer for you from you. What do you think a good year for Vladdy will look like this year is it a great september and forget about what he's done all year is it 30 and 90 is it 300 what's a what's a good season for vladdy i mean i've always thought the base for vladdy should be 30 100 300 that should be the bare minimum that's probably not going to happen it's probably not going to happen sure you know what i would take higher batting average in a winning team does that make sense? I, I for me now not, num- numbers wise. Listening to David talk about you know comparing it to last year, which is not fair, but that's what we do. Like he he set the bar so high last year that you expect him to do that every every single we year also, he plays baseball. You pointed this out very early. I think we have to take a look at last year's numbers with the Blue Jays. The and ballpark put a little asterisk beside the ballparks. It. Absolutely, uh, but uh, for me now that I look at Vladdy, I think it's September. 
he's in that George Springer realm where why did you sign George? End of August, all of September, and as long as you're in October. Yeah. Well, he's sort of the same way. So for me, I, I, so I think— So his year will be judged on what happens in no, September. No question, if because he, now there's seven teams all fighting for the same thing. So let's say that he finishes with, I don't know, how many RBI does he have now? Sixty. All right, let's something. let's say for argument's sake. Sixty-eight. Let's say for argument's sake, he finishes thirty, ninety-three, two, ninety-one, and the Jays go to the wild card. Is that what, mean? What, is, what, is, is what that is, a successful what, what season? Did he, what did he hit in September? All right. Now, I, 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 I wouldn't argue with that. Certain players on your team that basically you've moved him to the two spot to. Basically, give everything you can give for him to help carry your team yeah. to the finish line. You're in- carry it to the finish line. Yep, he's like a stock you've invested heavily. No question. In it, no and question. And you need to see you need to see a return. Um, interesting. His September will be very interesting. Yes, intriguing. Both, both his and Bo's will be interesting, but Vladdy's in particular. Absolutely, Vladdy's in particular. Dan Shulman is our Blue Jays play-by-play voice on Sportsnet. He will have the call tonight, the third game of that three-game series against the Baltimore Orioles, Jose Barrios against Dean Kramer. Dan Schulman's next. We've got tickets to give away as well. And as always, Barker's Back Lake Bits. It's Blair and Barker on 590-360 and wherever you get your favorite podcast.